Hey Tribe, we are back with a conversation with our clients and today we're going to be sitting down with Erin Herman. Uh, I think she's got a very powerful story and message and one that a lot of you guys when you come to class and see her will see her with a smile on her face, tons of laughter and just putting in work but uh, the struggles that she has gone through in her life and continue to go through and the way that she has found uh a way, I guess, a way of handling it and going through it and, and finding a purpose in life, a bigger purpose in life, uh, has been really inspirational. And I'm so grateful to have you here and also telling your story, and which I think is going to help change so many people's lives in the future. So welcome to the podcast, Aaron. And I just let's start off a little 90 second rundown, who you are, occupation, what you do for fun, why you come to Primal Path. And uh, yeah, just a little bit of your life. Well, thanks, Andrew. Um, so I live in East Haddam, and I've been here for, gosh, about 20 years or so. Um, I'm a teacher. I'm a literacy coach, actually. I teach reading to kids, and then um, I also coach teachers. So I, I've been doing that for about 32 years, looking forward to retiring, hopefully in the next three years-ish, um, is kind of the plan. I... I am a pretty active person. We have a boat and we boat every summer on the Connecticut River and uh, Long Island Sound. I ski, I garden, Heck yeah. I exercise. Um, I am involved with East Haddam's boot camp class, but also here at Primal. So I'm kind of doing both classes and um, it's allowed me a different kind of trying to vary my exercise so that I'm not just doing one kind of kind of thing. Um, so it just helps me, especially with the primal, um, doing more of a weight piece that's kind of helped me. I've had some injuries in the past, and so it's kind of helped me become a little bit stronger and use those muscles that I haven't used in a while. So um, getting older up in age and, uh, you know, need to keep keep moving. Yeah, keep that bone density up. Just add, an, add a little bit of weights and stuff like that. That's good. I, I love hearing people who have... Uh, active lifestyle, especially that's that's important. You know that gets caught up and forgotten about a lot of times is taking that time to ourselves to make sure we're going out and actually using our fitness. Right, like mm-hmm. some people only get the exercise in the gym. We don't apply it to the outside. You go, you get out there and do boating and skiing and stuff like that. So putting that work that you're putting in, you know, in East Adam Boot Camp classes and Primal Path, putting to use so you can you can kind of live your life. You know. Um, so in general, I like that we start off with like, what does fitness and health mean to you? Like why, what does that mean to you and why is it important in your life? Well, one of my main goals is um, as a reading teacher, I'm always on the floor with kids. <laughs> and my main goal is like, I just want to be able to get up off the floor. <laughs> That's like my main goal as a teacher. Um, so you know, exercise has obviously will allow me some more flexibility and um, being able to move easily. Um, so that, so really that's one of my main goals. And then hopefully eventually with grandchildren, maybe I'll be able to get off the floor. So that's always <laughs> my main goal with exercise. But, you know, also my parents both had died at young ages. Um, my mother had um, cancer and my father had heart disease. And I always kept saying, I am not going to be like that. I'm going to make sure that I, my heart keeps, keeps pumping and I'm using my muscles. And, um, and that balance is so important also. And I know that, you know, good health is really, you know, important and exercise is part of that. So. Yeah, exercise is definitely a part of it. And we always say that there's, you know, in general three aspects of fitness, the mental side, you know, your mental health, your mental fitness, your physical fitness, and obviously like your nutritional fitness. And with mental fitness, we're talking about emotional, we're talking about spiritual and stuff. And a lot of people um, who haven't dealt with like, you know, for instance, you had the loss of your parents or, you know, they died at a younger age for you and you go, I don't want to do that. And now fitness has a purpose, right? And now it's like, okay, let's imply that into my life and still into one of my habits, some of my non-negotiables in life. And a lot of people haven't gone through uh, a purpose of needing it. They haven't been injured. And I'm not saying you need to get injured. You need to do this stuff. But sometimes it just lacks the importance of, of fitness in those aspects of life when we don't have those things. So even though it's tough times that you've gone through, 
you know, you still see, you could see the application of what that helped you see to better your life. You know, um, and I also like to talk about some of the biggest struggles in your life. And I, I think is a, you know, it's a good time to talk about your son, Kyle and, 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 um, yeah, share your story, share his story. So a little over three and a half years ago, actually on my 52nd birthday, um, we were in Edinburgh for a 15-day trip. I had applied for a teacher grant and I was awarded um, this grant to study the art of storytelling, of all things. And I was going to bring it back to my school to help kids with their oral retelling of stories and and their their written stories. So that was the goal. And so we had arrived in Edinburgh and um, we were exhausted from a red eye. And um, there were lots of things along the way, kind of signs that I can talk about at another time mm-hmm. or um, we can, this can be part of, part of the story too. But there were, like there we say the magic of three, there were three things that happened prior to um, me finding out about my son and um at 3 20 in the morning um we had gotten a phone call from the police chief in east hampton the phone call that every parent fears most in life explained to us that our son was killed in a tragic car crash and at that point i didn't know anything really that had happened he wasn't really telling me a lot and i kept asking questions you know my and it was kind of odd like I kept this police chief on the on the phone for over like 20 minutes I kept firing off questions after question after question where was he was anyone else in the car was anyone else hurt other cars involved where was it where is Kyle you know I was doing I was firing off all these kinds of of questions and I in retrospect I think it I was doing that because it was he was like my one connection to my kid at that point. Yeah. And then as I'm, as I'm firing off all these questions, obviously my husband, um, he knew why the phone call. I remember turning my head and saying, it's Kyle, and I'm hearing him yell and cry in the background. Um, and as I'm talking to the police chief, I can hear Larry calling my daughter, who at that time was 25, and I can hear her screaming in the background on her, you know, through the phone. No, God, no, Dad, no, I knew something. You know, I could hear her, you know, vocalize that, that emotion. Um, all while I kept this chief still on the phone. And then I can hear him calling his 78-year-old mother, telling the same thing. And um, so it was just... I, I, I kind of, I, I think I went outside of my body. I kind of went, you know, to a place. I wasn't hysterical. I was, it was kind of an amazing thing. I was really calm and it was just, I don't know how to describe it. It just was very surreal. So <clears throat> we instantly got a flight home and it was the worst flight back, obviously, because I, I kept, of course, <laughs> As I'm in the in the airplane, I see all these young men with beards. Kyle, you know, he was 23. He had a beard, and I was like, I never noticed so many young men with beards. Like it was just, you know, weird. I would I would notice so many different things. I think that's what people say when you go through trauma. Um, the flight was horrific going home because we didn't know what anything that happened. We didn't know if it, like I kept saying, was. Was it Kyle's fault? Was it was he distracted? You know, my one of my first questions was he distracted or was it a distracted driver situation? We didn't know. Um, so we got home. We we got to the airport. My daughter went and picked us up, and met us down at the baggage claim. And um, of course, the first thing I wanted to do was to go see Kyle because yeah, I wanted to see him. And I said, you know, I asked Lindsay. I said. Did you make an appointment to, um, you know, to, Visit, to, yeah. to, to see Kyle at the, uh, what was it called? The um, mortuary, the, yeah, the, uh, the, the chief ex- medical, whatever, the, yeah, whatever the, that thing in Farmington is, whatever that place is called. Um, and she's like, no, mom, you know, you know, I'll, I'll explain the reason why. And she's like, let's just go in, you know, let's just get the luggage and go into the car. And, you know, we kept asking questions and questions. And then this 
I, I, I blurted out, I said, oh my God, was Kyle decapitated? Because of course that, that's what I'm thinking because she did not want to, for us to, she's like, no, we can't go see him. <clears throat> and then my husband, and she's like, no, he, he was not. And then Larry blurted out, he, he burned to death, didn't he? He burned to death. Of course, Larry's, his fear most in life is, is burning. And we found out that yes, in fact, <clears throat> the car did explode um, into fire. Um, after the crash from the extreme speed that was involved. And so Kyle did burn to death. And so that just, you know, alleviates a, more trauma for and more. more yeah. So, so if you can talk about like how, what, what happened to Kyle, you, you know, so. Yeah. So Kyle, actually, he was just working out at, um, Anytime, Anytime Fitness, Fitness in, in Westchester. Uh, Westchester. Um, and we know that because we actually went and, and saw the exact time that he left. Um, so he had just worked out. He had <clears throat> text and checked in with a former roommate of his and with his girlfriend. She, um, his, his girlfriend, Jamie, had uh, ordered Chinese food at Poe's in East Hampton for him to go pick up. So he was on his way in Route 16. <clears throat> in East Hampton. He was coming up the hill. Um, it was kind of an overgrown area. It was it was a blind corner basically because of the overgrown brush. And he turned this corner and he realized that there was a black car right in front of him in his, in his lane. So all Kyle could do was to move over to the right-hand side of the shoulder and ride the guardrail before impact. And um, so Kyle was driving my Jeep because we were away. And so what kid wants to, you know, yeah. drive mom's car and Jeep and yeah, driving my Jeep. And um, so the car um, dug into, so the driver <clears throat> was driving with excessive speed. And we know this after um, the, some of the investigation, but the police was able to share with us that um, that she was driving with excessive speed. She was also um, <clears throat> she was a 29 year old woman who who had a 40 year old passenger um, with her. <clears throat> she had just picked up her um, prescription of medical marijuana that afternoon at 1:30 in the afternoon, and she laced it with PCP. And so she had extreme levels of THC and um, PCP in her system. The passenger also had PCP in her system also. And, you know, you would think the 23-year-old was the one that would be at fault for being, you know, not the, the 40 and 29-year-old. Mm -hmm. um, so she was, the driver was weaving in and out of traffic all the way, we think, from Portland, 66. Um, wow. And went, went on to 16 because... There were some witnesses that um, you know saw her weaving in and out around um, cars, and then obviously I kept I say that you know she was probably she literally I believe think she probably was flying because while she was driving over 115 miles an hour, and Kyle was driving say 55, 60, so that's a 170 mile an hour crash, um, and like my husband says, Dale Earnhardt didn't survive 140 mile an hour crash being in. So Kyle initially um, did survive the crash. Um, the driver of the woman driver did not. She was instantly killed and the passenger died en route on Lifestar. And Kyle survived the initial crash. He had blunt trauma to the head and torso, <clears throat> but then smoke inhalation and excessive burns to his body. And so we were told that people, witnesses that came up on the crash, no one saw it, I guess. So there were witnesses that obviously came up <clears throat> and people were trying heroically to put out the, the fire that started. It started really small in the, um, in the engine. Kyle had just filled up that morning with gasoline. So he had a full tank. And so there was, the story is that there was a, a plumber and a landscaper and the landscaper was um, giving people shovels and people were <clears throat> um, 
trying to put it out with dirt. <clears throat> and the plumber had a bunch of um, fire extinguishers and was throwing them out to anybody and they were trying, you know, heroically to try to, you know, save Kyle. Yeah. And so there, there was a police officer on scene and he cut Kyle out of the, out of the Jeep, but his legs were pinned underneath the engine and they had to abandon the rescue because the fire started to engulf the car. So, but unfortunately the, the way that the, the fire continued is they couldn't put it out. I think because of the- All the gas too, it's, yeah. So they, they, I guess three tankerfuls of water, of water tanks, trucks, whatever, came to put it out from Colchester and East Hampton and East Haddam. <clears throat> And finally, they used aviation foam to put the fire out. Well, um, you know, that's, that's I, I can't imagine going through that, you know, and I don't think anyone else can. I mean, it's the biggest fear, especially as a parent, and I'm not a parent, but, um, you know, being in war and seeing death and seeing people pinned in vehicles and, and uh, what what, you know, the tragedy of, of people passing away in, in, in general is just very hard. So I, I can't imagine even as, as your own son and stuff like that, especially when you're on this vacation. So there's all these things that just complicate and, you know, you're just looking for answers and you always think that like, if this, something happens, it all, everything else should go smoothly. And I don't mean that in, in the sense that, but like the investigation and, and this and, and trying to find those answers now and the answers that you know you might never get in your life and what's the next step and how do you navigate this grief and how ha, what is the next step like after you come home you you hear all these news you you're having to process you know and, and turn it into a reality because you get that phone call like you said everything kind of slows down you feel like you're like surreal you're out of body experience you're you know you're disassociated yourself from everything so your emotions entirely shut down and after this is all said and done and and i don't mean like done in the sense but once you come to realization of like this is actually my life now what's the next step how do you navigate that how do you continue on with life and how do you find a purpose and how do you continue to you know put the message out of ways to help. How do you show that love for Kyle? Continue to have him a part of your family because like you talk about in articles and interviews, like you still live and love Kyle. It doesn't change it just because you lose a son. It doesn't mean you stop loving him. It doesn't mean you stop living for him. Um, yeah, how do you go about that next step in, in, in life? Yeah, so we try, we, try, we try many different things to honor Kyle. Um, I think initially we needed to find answers. <clears throat> we needed to, and ironically, we kept running into people that were there. Um, my husband, he went back to work two, a few weeks after Kyle was killed and he was in a, in a shop and he was telling a story about, you know, what had happened to Kyle briefly. And he looked over at this young kid and his face was blank and, and white and, um, and so my husband went over to talk to him and he's like, I was there. I was the car in front of your son. This driver was in front of me and zoomed out of the way and then went back into the lane and he saw the crash happen in his rear view mirror. So, and we ran into people like that along the way. We, we ran into the DOT worker he, as I was um, one day driving down 16 to get more death certificates for college loan stuff and all that. I ran into the gentleman that was there for DOT and there is, um, they were cutting down a lot of the brush and um, they, obviously the trees that were around where Kyle was, they were, cutting them all down because they were dead. But they left one burnt tree that we had a little sign on, a little um, remembrance sign, mm -hmm. you know, you'll always well, be loved and always be remembered. Um, and he's like, you know what, because you stopped and talked to me, I'm gonna leave that and you know, cut, cut the top off and make sure that that is, that is there. And, and of course, everyone we've ever ran into has always said to us, it's the worst crash that they've ever experienced. And so our initial reaction was we needed to find
find out as much as we can. We even brought sandwiches and um, some things to the fire department and the police department and hoping that we might run into someone and we did. So we, we ran into one of the first responders and he gave us more details about Kyle. And, and I don't know why we need it. I don't know why, you know, a lot of people would just kind of run the other way and not want to know the details, but we needed to find those details, finding those hard details um, that are really painful. But I don't know, I think it's a, it's a way we can honor our son a little bit more and, and honor um, the importance of, of him. So we, after we found out like really kind of a lot of the details, we, um, we went and did some other hard things. So Kyle was a baseball kid. He worked um, at Baseball Info Solutions as a, um, as a video scout. He would watch baseball all day long and he would um, do the stats for the, the, um, the batting and, or the pitching in the outfield. So he would do all, all those things. So he had never been to the Baseball Hall of Fame. So we did that the, the fall Cooperstown, I think is it? In Cooperstown, yeah, yes. Yeah, New York, yep. Um, so we had done that, and that was a hard thing to do. I don't, and I kept saying, you know, I don't know why we didn't ever do this with Kyle. So we felt like we had to do that. We actually bought bats there. Um, we had Kyle's name inscribed there with a bat, a Red Sox, of course. We're all Heck yeah. Red Sox guys. Red and, Sox um, nation. So um, we have his name and then his birth date and his death date, and we made that into a, a back cross that we put at the crash site. Um, so we kept doing things that were hard. We went to the 911 memorial. You know, why the hell did we do that? Like that was just, but we did that like a few months after. You know, we kept doing things that were hard for us. Um, we went to a gun quit where he spent every summer with his girlfriend and her family. We wanted to go and experience that. We bought. Um, season tickets for Fenway, you know, Kyle had always said to his father, come on, dad, just, can we just get some, you know, season tickets? And, um, you know, we did that. We, so we, we are constantly kind of doing things that are hard, hoping that, you know, Kyle sees these experiences through our eyes. And that's kind of what our hope is. And we went back to Edinburgh where, um, we got the phone call, um, a year later and kind of finished that circle piece. So you think about doing those things, uh, you know, in relatively not not like years after, you know, Kyle passed away, but like within months, it seems like you guys are starting to do that. You think that was also like one of those things that to to continue to bring him in your life? Like these are the things that Kyle wants to do. Let's go and do them. And and being able to share that and, and have that experience with kind of Kyle, like you say, that he's looking down and, and, and being there with you and seeing like what you guys are doing to cherish that. You know, how important was it for you to make those times like hard? And, and this is something that I think a lot of people don't understand is, you know, we even say this and we talked about this is like when even at war, when. So when someone gets, you know, uh, we get into a very bad situation that causes trauma, a vehicle that gets, you know, destroyed or there's death or that we're getting shot at. Like the the initial thing is, is to close everything off. Like you were saying, is to run away, push those emotions down, bury those emotions and try to live life with this this shadow that's always going to be there. And it seems like you you naturally had this mentality to go the opposite way. And, and we always say that too. If someone experienced trauma, we need to get them back out, back out into reality and say, hey, you need to live your life. And you, you could still, life's different, but it doesn't end. And, and, you know, you guys even took it to the step that you went back to Scotland. Like how important do you think those things are? And what was it like going back to Scotland? Especially, I'm guessing, being in the airport and landing and then being like, this is... This is re- this is all too familiar. Was there a different feeling in that? And and like I said, how important is it that you guys got back out there? Yeah, it was real. It was important for us to um, to kind of get back into our our life and to to try to find balance. And so I'm part of another grief group um, with David Kessler, and he always says you have to grieve fully but also live fully so you need to balance it um and so you know grieving 
you know, when I need to, I just need to pause and I need to stop and allow myself that, that grieving time when I, when I need it. Um, so I think I have the grieving fully down because <laughs> I feel like I'm always kind of in this, in this muck sometimes. I mean, I don't, if you looked at me, you're not going to see, oh, this is a, a bereaved mother. Um, yeah. I, you know, I, I just, I think I, but I, but I also feel like there's this persona around me, like a, an aura, a, um, I call it like the little grief devil sitting on my shoulder, but it's always there and it's become part of who I am now. So it's, it's my journey that I have to learn to live alongside of. So I have to learn how to balance it. And, um, you know, going back to Scotland was, was really challenging. Um, you know, even the dinner that we ate right before um, we went to sleep that night, um, it's called The World's End. And so it's one of the oldest taverns in Scotland. I had, I didn't even like pre-plan it. I didn't, we just went to a shop and um, right outside, they're like, oh, that looks like a good pub. And you know, like I never, I never even looked at the name. I, we just looked at the menu. I mean, how ironic is that? The world's end, uh, the place. And even, um, yeah. even when there was a, a music festival or an art festival setting up and I walked down the street in Edinburgh and that first night, and I hear this beautiful um, electric violin and I'm listening to this young girl play it. And I'm like, huh, that's an unusual song. And it was Amazing Grace. And so like, that's an unusual thing to play in the streets. And I'm, in Scotland in too. Scotland, yeah, right. I so, love that. Um, so like, that's some of those signs that we kind of, so, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that we can't explain. Um, so, and I'm not about to explain it, but I just, I, I sense Kyle always with me. He's, you know, I, I love him. He's still part of my family and we still speak his name and tell his stories because we don't want him to be forgotten and that his legacy and, and meaning, you know, continues. And so, um, we volunteer now for Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Um, we um, tell our son's story to, it's called victim impact panels where people are arrested for drunk driving or impaired driving that they have to, basically it's like a court ordered class that they have to attend. And so we share our story with others so that maybe they won't, maybe they'll think twice be before getting behind the wheel impaired um, because, you know, life can change in an instant. And, you know, we all take for granted that, oh, we're going to, we're going to make it home. And, yeah. and it's not, there's no guarantees in life. So we need to live our life to the fullest and try to, you know, embrace our challenges, but also live our life fully. And, and I, I th that is, so important, important, and I, you know, I, I, I'm fascinated on that because I feel like I, I spent 15 years of my life trying to figure that out. Um, that, you know, I didn't know how, like going through, like you know, like I said, this is slightly, it, it's entirely different in the sense that I didn't lose a son, but at the same time, that the trauma of war. Um, left an impact on myself that I, I let it define me. Mm -hmm. I, I let it define who I was. I let war, you know, everyone labeled me like, oh, he was a bomb tech in the military. His life be hard. And and you'd get people who uh, would be afraid to ask questions or they tread very, very lightly. And when I was set in that grief and, and, and having, you know, uh, survivor's guilt and, and all these feelings that I'm sure you've gone through and continue Absolutely. to go through because it just never ends, but we just know how to manage them better, like you said. Um, but like people were afraid to ask me those questions and it wasn't until I realized that actually talking about this stuff to people who care, not just like random, random people, but like actually being able to tell a little bit about my story and a little about what I went through and how it's allowed to tell the story for my friends who are no longer here, allows to tell the story, that thing to carry on their legacy, to carry on their story. Um, 
but I realized how much it's helped me mm-hmm. and helped me try and understand that, hey, we got to live a life and find the best about it. Like every day is not happy. Every day is not going to be successful. We're going to get those hiccups and, and, and life it's okay. and it's, it's, it's normal okay. and you could cry and you could, you know, you could be angry and that's okay. You know, it's not a, it's not the end of it all, but there's got to be a time where you do something for yourself and try and find a better purpose or a bigger purpose in life and whatever that may be. But being able to talk about those things and, and, and get that stuff out there and being open and, and, for instance, you being able to go and talk about these things is showing people that they can get through this. And two, that, hey, if you do have questions, please feel free to ask because you never know in that conversation and, and you, you're living that. Like we always think, for instance, my parents are still alive. You know, I might not talk to them for a couple of days. And then who knows, you know, something might happen. And then I'm going to always be like, I should have called them every day. I should have spent that time. But we have to still live that life and and, and try to just keep that positive. Keep the positive mindset. It's not going to be positive all the time. But keep that positive mindset in the sense that, okay, we've gotten through stuff before. We can get through this. How can I turn the situation in to help other people, to help myself? And hearing you talk about that is is just incredible that you've you've been able to do that with you and your husband Larry been able to do that and obviously I'm sure your daughter is a big advocate as well too but you talk about the purpose of your life changing you know and and how do you how do you apply that to your everyday things like your work or the things that you do on a day-to-day basis like how has your purpose of of life in the way that you look at life changed well, I don't, um, I don't get like the little things. I don't bother me anymore. You know, so those are just petty little things. If your, you know, kid leaves your, their backpack or doesn't pick up their shoes, so be it. Who gives a shit? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so like little petty things, I, you know, don't bother me. And I, um, you know, grief is, is really challenging. And, you know, you went through your own grief, um, just like, and so many of us, go through grief all the time. I mean, if you think about it, it's an organic thing. We come from a long line of dead people. So we will all be experiencing grief in our lifetime, but grief can be a death of someone, a loved one, but it can also be the death of a pet or, or a divorce or a loss of a job. Really, grief is really loss of anything, whether it's an amputation or even a secondary loss of like even, you know, now I have challenges driving. Um, I'm really scared to drive because of my trauma. So there's even some secondary traumas, um, you know, that I feel. And, you know, guilt is part of grief also. And, um, you know, everyone that has gone through a death of someone, you always coulda, woulda, shoulda kind of thing. And what ifs, and if only, and if Kyle, I always say it, you know, if Kyle, if he only did five more push-ups that day, he wouldn't have been in that place at the, you know, at that time. Um, if I had stayed home on my birthday, he wouldn't have been going to pick up food. Um, so I carry that that guilt with me. Um, you know, my husband's like, you know, he shouldn't have gone. You know, if he had stayed home. So we all carry grief in our own, and it is that survivor guilt kind of thing. It's the what ifs and if onlys that we call it um what else yeah yeah so like yeah so we're dealing with all that stuff in our head but we still have to try and live life you know we we still have to try and carry get through life it it doesn't end we can't just sit in our house and and that's it so uh you know like do you have you created like different habits in your life or, or you know what is the purpose like for instance creating some sort of discipline in my life to help me not have idle hands. Yeah. Finding a bigger purpose of like taking my time that, uh, you know, and investing it towards something. For instance, you do a lot with, you know, mothers against drunk driver or distracted drivers, um, drug drivers, you know, you could, you could replace that D with many different things. Um, you know, how, how important is it that you've created different habits in your life or, or different outreaches that you stay in touch with to get you through those times? Do you feel like it's beneficial in that aspect? And 
why did you choose those things? For instance, like I found movement to heal me, like is one of those things that like I have to move because it's, I'm not doing drugs and I'm not drinking my way through, I'm not sitting in an American Legion for, you know, the next 50 years of my life telling war stories. And if that helps some people, great. But like, to me, that's just being in that shadow and reliving that stuff over and over again without trying to take what we live through and make an impact on life. You know, do you find yourself, obviously you do because you're working on a couple things. So like how important is it building habits in your life to get you through those difficult times and grief and having those support groups? So I do, you know, structures and routines are very important. And actually the boot camp camp class was my first thing I went back to. Um, It was probably only about a month or six weeks I went back to exercise because I knew that it was something that was good for me. I knew it was getting back into a routine and structure. I cried every time I did it because I always kept, I kept hearing Kyle's voice um, saying, you got this mom, you got this mom. And he, we had, we had gone um, and did the, um, the Manchester road race the year before he died. And that's what he kept saying to me, mom, you got this, you got this mom. So I, that's what I kept hearing as I'm doing burpees and doing pushups and different things. So getting into those routine and structures, I think are really important, but you have to listen to your body also. I mean, initially I couldn't do anything and just taking a shower is a win sometimes or putting something nutritious in my mouth is a win because initially the first few weeks, I mean, I had no appetite. I could, I didn't do anything. I just, I, it was a fog. I was in a total daze. Um, but then as I slowly started to, to do things like even just dealing with the insurance company that was doing something, um, dealing with Kyle's student loan debt, you know, I had, I, so I, I tried to get, do something purposeful and then, um, went back to exercise and then slowly went back to work and, um, and now, you know, I'm writing about my grief. So I've written some articles um, and now I'm writing a memoir about um, my whole experience and, and Kyle, hopefully to so that Kyle will never be forgotten. And um, and so to kind of help others with our our processing of grief and how and trying to you know balance this grief in living is you know really important. Um, and, you know, volunteering really does help, I think. And they say, you know, like even if you went to a soup kitchen or, or volunteered reading, you know, with at a library with kids or anything that, you know, like for me as a teacher, kids bring me joy. So going back to work in that way, they got me out of my funk. Um, and so that, you know, that was helpful to me to be with energetic and, you know, little kids. So, um, you know, getting back into those structures and routines is, is really helpful to, but you have to make yourself do it so that it's hard, you know, it's so easy to just stay in bed all day long or to drink your way through or to take pills to alleviate your pain. But that, you know, when you wake up the next day, it's still going to be there. So you have to do things that motivate you and that bring you joy. So even gardening, you know, in the spring, I spend hours and hours gardening. And I have to say, gardening, I think, kicks my ass more than any (laughs) any exercise class. (laughs) I am always sore when I'm weeding and I'm chopping and I'm doing all these different things. Um, So anything that kind of can help alleviate and give you give grief a little respite because you can't be in the muck all the time. And you, but you have to allow yourself to be in there if you need it, but then to try to force yourself to get up and to continue on. Yeah, I think that volunteering that you talk about um, is so important in, in the instance of helping others because you know the grief and you know that feeling. And sometimes when you look at people that you're going to help, you can see that they're living in that grief. And if you can give them a little bit of a break, even if it's for a moment, um, seeing their smile, that authentic happiness takes your brain and says, 
we're doing something in life and that there is life after grief. And you can kind of see someone's life slightly change, even if it's just a moment. Mm -hmm. And then you realize that there's more to life. And, and, and that's what it's always been for me too, is, is just like when, you know, and that's, and if you look at, there's so many vet support outreaches and all this other stuff. And a lot of them are vet driven and, and my side of it, it's just obviously because yeah, that's what, that's what helps, helps out. Volunteering helps out so much. It, it helps you give back. It helps you, uh, even like a random act of kindness. I'm a big fan of doing those things too, because you never know what anyone's going through on a day-to-day -day basis. And you never know what some the little small act can change somebody's mind and how it can shift the direction. Whether I'm sure you had people who brought you food. I'm sure you had mm -hmm. people that were running errands for you. And you might not have been the most thankful person at that time. And you might have said thank you and wanted to show your gratitude at a higher level than what was there just because you're so emotionally drained and physically drained and, and everything like that. But I'm sure there was that like little bit of moment that you're like, wow, that was really nice. That was, and, and, and you appreciated what people are willing to do for you to, to help out in any way, whatever that is, no matter small, how big it is. And then there was that time that you're like, I feel strong enough for it's now my time to help other people out. Mm -hmm. And I think that's just uh, incredible that you can, you can go through that in life and still find the good side of it. And as with everything, there's always, a, you're always going to have the ups and downs and that's, that's mm -hmm. going to be for the rest of life. But yeah. your awareness of what the purpose of life, the small things, you know, of a kid leaving a backpack there, you know, sometimes you're out in public and you see this person getting so angry at whether a car's driving slow in the fast lane or you get people get so angry at something not being in the grocery store than they want it. And, and you're That's like, stuff. you're like, <laughs> man, you, you, there's so much bigger things in life Absolutely. and it's not our job or your job to go and try and tell them that there's bigger things in life. But we do get an important feeling of like understanding, wow, I, I have a different outlook on life because I used to be, you know, I used to get, irritable on these small things and then you realize that the value of life and what it is and the fact that you talked about is that this long line of dead people death isn't death isn't inevitable it's the one thing that we can guarantee in life mm -hmm. and I, I everyone immediately goes into the how tragic and horrible but it is and it, it is it's sad but it's also the celebration of life it's as much as we're we, we don't have that person with us we don't have to look at their life as a negative thing all the time in the sense of we don't have to look at the death and we right. don't have to look at the way they died. What yeah. we can look at is, hey, he would go to the, you know, season tickets to the Red Sox, right. Hall of Fame, you know, uh, up there. And we find these moments that we're celebrating their life and, and being able to tell their story and, and especially if you're writing a book. And, you know, with that, I think we learn a lot about self-love. You know, we learn a lot about self-love within that when we go through through tragedy. So, you know, my last thing I would say is like, what what what's self-love to you? Like, how do you define it and how do you live a life with self-love? Yeah. <laughs> That's a challenging thing. Yeah. Um, you know, I just try to continue to be a good person, be a good human, um, you know, as a parent, one of your most important things in life is to, you know, have your teach your kid to be a good human. And I th think that, you know, we did, my husband and I, we did a great job. You know, our kid was a really genuine kind of old soul. Um, even the, the place that he worked at in, in Chester, a window factory called Roto, he was, you know, again, 23. They closed up shop for the morning, paid their employees to attend Kyle's funeral, rented a school bus and drove over an hour on a hot and humid August wow. day to my kid's funeral. So that tells you the type of kid a impact little bit about the impact that he had. He, you know, he, he, was a real, he really had one of those old souls. He, people would say that he was the one person that would always say good morning to to people you know nowadays nobody says good morning i walk down the hallway at school i'll say good morning to a kid they they, they don't say anything back <laughs> you know it's just so bizarre but anyways so he was you know a really genuine soul so continuing to live that way um and being kind um and you know when someone does mention 
Kyle or allow me to share part of my story, I actually always thank them because talking about grief is really uncomfortable for many people and no one really likes to talk about it. And sometimes I've noticed even at work, like if I'll start to mention, because I, you know, I still want to tell stories about mm -hmm. Kyle. He's a, he is my son. Um, so sometimes I notice when I do mention something that maybe Kyle did when he was younger, you know, people get quiet. They, mm -hmm. they kind of, you know, go into their, and then they walk away. <laughs> and so, you know, I, I always thank people when they allow me to talk about what I'm going through because it, grief can be very isolating. Um, and, um, not many people really do like to talk about it. So, um, I always appreciate when people do allow me to, to share a little bit. So thank you for allowing me to share my, my story and my son's story. And it's, it's my pleasure. You know, um, for people who are going through grief or people are listening to this, what, what's, what's something that you could offer some advice, uh, to those people that might, might be going through something tough in life. And at the same time, what's something positive that you could, you could take out of that in life? So I think finding support, a support system is really important, whether it's a, a girlfriend or um, a neighbor, you know, some kind of support system. Um, in, my, in this COVID era, I have found some online grief support groups that have, have really helped. Even last night, I was online with this compassionate friend group of other parents who have lost their children. So sometimes, you know, finding a volunteer organization or finding another support group really helps in the grief world feel a little less alone that um, because, you know, a lot of people think they're the only ones when so many of us, you know, are going through our own crap and that we all have commonalities with that. Yeah. So there's, um, you know, my story might be different from another parent's, but there are some common threads that we all experience. Even I'm sure some of my grief story are similar to some oh, of yeah. your grief stories. So we all kind of have some, we find, um, and we find some commonalities in each other's stories. So I think finding a support system is really important, whatever that is, even coming to a primal class, that's, that is a support system. It really is, you know, like having that community is, is really helpful. Um, you know, it, so getting yourself out there is really important. So yeah, I think you know, yeah, I think that's a good one is finding that support system. You know, as silly sounds, whether it's a therapist, whether it's it's all that other stuff, but it doesn't have to be someone that you're actually doesn't have to be a therapist. Any person could be that. You know, that 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 parent that you might feel uncomfortable talking with, like, you know, at whatever age, or mm -hmm. you know, uh, a friend in that you've always relied on, um, just to hear those, just just to have them listen, you right. know, the simple things could really help out. Yeah. It's basically wit witnessing their story that all people really want is to be witnessed and to share a little bit. So instead of, if you see someone that might be going through grief and you see them in the grocery store, instead of walking the other way, <laughs> which has happened to me. I've seen people turn the other way, you know, acknowledge them, just, just be present. That's really important. Even if you don't find the words to say, because sometimes there are no words, mm -hmm. sometimes yeah. just being in their presence and giving them eye contact or touching their hand or, you know, or even just doing something like bringing food or bring or doing something for writing a nice note, you know, even years later is, you know, we're really grateful for those kinds of, you know, things. So. Yeah, I think that that big lesson is, is just don't, you know, don't, don't, you know, allow it to define yourself or in the sense of like, oh, if I talk to Erin, uh, you know, do I, do I bring up her son or not? You know, just you could actually talk to people and not talk about that stuff and just treat them like a normal human being in that aspect of understanding. And it, it doesn't mean that the conversation always has to go there for one, right. two, if it does go there, cool, accept it and, and enjoy. It. And three, don't be afraid to ask questions, you know, especially like you were saying, if, if you start opening up to me, that's a sign, you know, of uh, people that go through trauma. Know if somebody starts to open up, ask one or two more questions. You don't have to turn it into this length thing, but they're at a, they're at a comfortable spot where maybe they do want to share that moment of, 
you know, uh, enjoyment that they have with a memory or something like that. That'll put a smile on your face. So I agree with you. It's not something that should be avoided. Like it is those simple things of just being like, you know, how was your coffee this morning? Whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. Um, and not, not define people by those things that they go through. Look at them as a normal human being and, and don't be afraid to ask. And you know, that even goes for our tribe. You know, if you see Aaron, say hi to her. And you know, if you ever have a question, I'm sure she's She's more than, than willing, and, and I believe you have also a really, really nice tattoo. I do. On your <laughs> forearm, don't is that correct? I do, yes. So and that, I have, that's kind I have of... Kyle's handwriting um, that I got from a Mother's Day card, and it says, Mom, love you so much, Kyle. Because we would always say, love you, bef- love you, before we would hang up with each other or you know, bedtime. And, and there's a, um, a picture of a hummingbird that is facing outward towards me and part of some of Kyle's ashes, a little pinch of his ashes are actually in the ink. So we had a hummingbird experience um, a few weeks after Kyle had died. My husband and I were sitting on the front porch, another sign, I think, um, and a hummingbird came. I, I could see it drinking nectar or whatever from a yellow weed. I know it was weed because it was bugging me. I was seeing it there when I was sitting on my front porch and then all of a sudden it zoomed right in front of my face about five or six feet away from me, just kind of looking at me with eye level, just hovering and just, you know, for about, I don't know, it felt like 10 seconds and then totally flew sideways and in front of my husband's face did the same thing, but then started to chirp, like, cut it out, dad. (laughs) It kept chirping, 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 chirping in front of his face, again, actually closer than mine, um, for another probably 10 seconds or more, and then took off. And so now every, I look for a hummingbird every spring, um, usually about April, end of April, they come about. And this past summer, we had this one cute little hummingbird. It would sit on my front porch on my um, planter. I had some sticks kind of from the holidays, just red red branches. And um, it would sit on there and look towards our front door every morning. Wow. And so every time I pass that my, at my door, I look for that hummingbird. I know the hummingbird's not there right now. Um, but... So that's going to be the cover of my book, if I can get it, to have a little hummingbird sitting on a branch. Um, so that's going to be uh, it's going to be an incredible book, especially the fact that you know all, all these little things that you know you went there for storytelling, your 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 literacy, you know, teacher. Uh, on top of that, like you know, I, I think it's going to be incredibly well written and emotional and just a a a way that's going to help a lot of people out you know um i look forward to when that time comes uh one last thing is you guys are make trying to make a little change into the law as well too we can just touch base on that if you like if not just uh yeah so what are you guys doing also to help kind of prevent this from ever happening to another family right so MAD was started in 1980 from a mother, a bereaved mother whose daughter was killed by a drunk driver. And so MAD has able, they were, have been working on a national level um, and passing the 0.03, whatever the legal limit of alcohol in, I don't even know what it is, 0.08? 0.08, yeah, I that's it. Um, so they've done those and they, they they worked on the interlocking system that if you if someone is convicted of a DUI um, crime, they often have to have a locking device in their car to get it started. So Matt has been kind of at the background of those kinds of legalization. But um, impaired driving has been really stagnant for the last 10 years or more. So um, on average, there's about 10,000 people killed every year um, from impaired driving crashes, and it hasn't moved at all. So there was a national um, program. It was called the DADS program. It was something that Congress gave the um, auto industry money to research um, different technology. And so that was really stagnant, and they they kept asking for more money. You know, every five years, they would say, I need, you know, we Whatever, right. millions of money, millions of dollars of money. So um, there was a, a bereaved father who actually worked 
in who works in the car industry and he his daughter was killed um she was a young a, a new mother she was actually she had given birth to two preemies and she was on her way home from visiting her two babies in the hospital and was killed by an impaired driver who was who was drunk and um driving in the wrong wrong lane and a lot of those kind of crashes happen that way um and so he kept talking to people in the auto industry saying there's got to be something that can be done because you know this auto this technology that we have in in the newer cars i because kyle was killed in my car i had to purchase a new car in 2018 when he died and so my car has that lane departure beeping thing and mm -hmm. it has um my dog ran behind my car one day and then it stopped because it sensed her and it has that um you know, the braking technology. And so there's a lot of technology that is already um, embedded in cars. Even um, the backup cameras took 10 years to happen and now it's standard in all vehicles. So MAD got on because of this gentleman's um, knowledge and starting in his work in the auto industry and he works because obviously his, his daughter was killed. He, he contacted MAD and said, there's, there's technology that is out there that can be help save lives. So um, there is something called the Ride and, and Halt Act that was part of the infrastructure bill that was just passed and signed by the president, of, I think it was beginning of December or November, that will now make car technology, um, it's, a car, it's a safety technology mandate for all vehicles within two or three years to have these safety um, passive technology features. So just like a backup camera is, is standard now, these packages will become standard. So now, so like Volvo and Subaru has this package right now in their cars. It's available, but it's a high package. So it's probably like a five grand mm -hmm. extra. So this will become, this will make it more equalized for everyone and make, you know, an equity piece that these safety technologies will be part of every new vehicle built so now now that the law is passed it's going to go into the language and trying to figure out like all the details so it's going to be passive so everybody everybody thinks oh it's going to be another you know breath analyzer thing it's not that kind of technology it will be the average driver won't even know it's there because if you're not driving impaired or you're not driving distracted then you're not going to know that so it's kind of i call it like a behavior management system so right now with when i'm driving and i i go over to the side of the road a little bit, I get the beep beep. You know, that's my little yeah, behavior yeah, and, I, right. and I go back. <laughs> so it'll be that kind of a system I imagine. They're, you know, they're gonna be working out all the language piece, but it could potentially end like, and save 40,000 lives a year because if, it's, wow. if it helps with distractibility, people who fall asleep while they're driving, who have a medical emergency, who drive drunk, who drive drugged, um, so it really could potentially end or the majority of crashes and, and excessive speed. That's the other thing. That's a huge piece of it is the excessive speed piece. And we know that if this, you know, the, the driver of our son, the, the murderer basically of our son, if that technology was in that vehicle, Kyle would still be alive. So that is what drives us to help. So we contacted our senators and our congressmen and we met weekly um, in a war room on zoom with mad national so people from all over the country wow um, on a weekly basis to strategize okay what what's our next step and they were really educating us who were part of of this um, this group to really become activists so that's kind of that's where we are now kind of that that's awesome yeah so in like you said it's not just helping you know uh drivers underneath the influence like yes that's kind of your big push because that's how it impacted your life but yeah medical emergencies of people having a heart attack while they're driving mm -hmm. it's going to help all this stuff out um that's that yeah and we have enough technology that vehicles could drive themselves absolutely this this should be absolutely I, I'm, I'm fully on board it should be a passive thing that's just added on to i don't you know i don't see why you wouldn't want the safety of people especially you know on average you have 3300 people a day die in car accidents which is astronomical uh, a number all over the world obviously but 
um, we could still do a lot more to help kind of re reduce that, you know, especially with the technology that we have nowadays. Yep. Um, anything that we miss, anything that you want to talk about, any last words, last things you want to say, anything that you want to put out there um, before we kind of wrap this up? I just want to say thank you for welcoming me, um, you know, here. And I, you know, East Haddam has a, a wonderful um, community. And um, I just want to put a little plug out there for it. So, um, I'm, I'm sorry. Sorry. Aaron, if there's anything that you have to say to, to kind of wrap this up that we may have missed, feel free to, uh, to let us know. Well, I want to thank you for inviting and welcoming me to this community because, you know, living in a small town is really a special thing and to be part of, you know, community of people knowing each other and, um, and helping out each other is a really special thing. And, you know, initially when Kyle was killed, I was really mad at our ruralness because there wasn't any you know, breakdown lane and it was a two lane road and you know and I was thinking what ifs and if onlys you know if, if things were changed but uh, you know this community really rallied around us and gave us a great big hug and they um, you know from all walks of life came and rallied around our family um, so um, so it's just you know part of being part of a community is really an important thing so whether it's here at the gym or at home or in your neighborhood or your working community, you know, to be present. So, thank well, you. well, thank you, Aaron. Thank you very much for coming on here and, and sharing your story. And, you know, if, if you see Aaron in class, feel free to, I'm sure, say hi. And she, I'm sure she's got plenty of stories to talk about and, and, and fun and goodness. And also, you know, uh, if you are looking to help or support or anything like that, uh, feel free to talk to her. She's got, you know, she's she definitely is one that can direct you in that right way. Should you need some some help or assistance or, or ways that you want to help out uh, with Mad or any other uh, volunteer community that she's a part of. So, yeah. thank you, Aaron. Thank you. You guys have a wonderful day, and we'll talk to you soon.